and have a listen to what the Lord might want to say to us through his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. And we thank you that the scriptures have been inspired and written by, by your spirit through, through men, through the ages. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would um, come and you would cause our hearts to come alive to the conversation that you want to have with us this morning about our life of following Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And, and we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to like, you know, if you need to, just give us a little nudge from where we are to where even greater freedom awaits us in our journey with you. Just give it, where we sort of go, Lord, I can only come this far. I pray that by your spirit, you just graciously nudge us just that little bit more forward into the greater freedom of the life that you've won for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gosh, for some reason this morning, I just feel like it's really good to look at your faces. You're, you're a good-looking bunch. <laughs> I don't know if you've been told that lately, but anyway, you're a good-looking bunch. And uh, anyway, I, you know, I, I think it might have some, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but you know when Moses hung out with God in that um, tent, and he would come out of that tent having met with God and everyone around Moses would be saying, Mo, put something over your head, man. The, the, the light's too intense. It was just like, because he'd been near God, this, this presence of the Lord was on him. I think that's what's going on. I think that's what the Lord's trying to tell me this morning as I'm standing in front of you. I, I see the Lord on you. I, I'm, I'm, there's something very attractive about the Lord on you this morning. You're a wonderful people in God. Let me just say that. All righty. Um, this morning, I do want to take a little bit of time to share with you about a very key lifestyle attitude and posture of our heart and our mind in our following of Jesus. I remember when uh, not long after I was saved... I, um, through the church that I was a part of, I went and spoke with the elders of the church and relayed to them the fact that I'd had this encounter with Jesus and that Jesus had literally turned my life from night to day. He'd literally like flicked a switch in me. He'd, he'd, he'd removed my sin, like the scriptures said, far, far from me, as far as the east is from the west. I just had this great sense of liberty that what, what was um, so selfish about my life, what was so addictive in my life, everything just like after meeting Jesus got lifted from me and taken from me as far as the east is from the west and, and it got cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness and all of a sudden I was, I was, I'd come alive to the reality that God loved me so amazing and his grace was transforming my life. And not long after I'd spoken to the elders, I said, look, I'm not quite sure what's going on with me, but I think um, Jesus is asking me to follow him. And, and as a part of that, they, they sat with me and they listened to my story and they said, yes, we can see this is happening to your life. And I said to them, I think God's telling me to um, um, serve his church, to love the church. And they said, yes, we can see that. 
and they, um, they encouraged me in that journey. So what that meant was the next sort of five years of my life was with, with myself buried in theological books and conversations in university life and at the same time trying to figure out what does it mean to be a, a, a pastor or a minister or a reverend or whatever you want to call them. I even get called father these days. So um, I get called all sorts of stuff. But anyway, those, those, um, those church kind of tags those <laughs> that, that, that they were giving me at the time. And I was trying to figure it all out. So here I am. Let's just picture this. I've been saved by Jesus. And it wasn't like, for me, it was a very dramatic experience. For me, it was very powerful. And I had it within my thinking that as a young bloke in... Um, in theological college, in Bible college, and doing my, my um, what they would call your, your, practice, your praxis. You would go out and you'd do your experiential learning in different churches and so forth. Uh, I had it in my mind that they were going to put me in front of like a crowd of about 10,000 people and 9,000 of them were going to give their life to Jesus the very first time I opened my mouth. And I mean... I still live with that picture in my heart, really. Um, but I, I just had this sense that this, all right, this is where I'm going to go. And where, where they, they thought in their wisdom would be really good for me was to assign me a season of work for this inner city, inner Brisbane, little Methodist church where, the, where there were, on a Sunday there was approximately 12 of us that would gather and the average age was 65 plus. And so I'm like, Lord, did, was there a miscommunication? Like, because what was in me was a crowd of 10,000. And here I am standing in front of 12 people who are like three times my age. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure there's a miscommunication here somewhere. We didn't get that right. But in their wisdom... Um, those that were helping to shape me at the time and my journey with God thought that this would be the best place for me, the very best place to put me. And I, so like for 12 months on a Sunday, I would go to this little Methodist church or it was a uniting church at that time and I would get into the pulpit. I mean, it had one of the big wooden pulpits and it was high and lifted up so it was like I would be like if I had another stool here I'd stand on it again and I'd be looking right down on everyone you know this this young 21 year old kid and 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 looking at this crowd of 12 people and preaching at them as if they needed to be saved like right then and there and I, anyway, so I go through this experience and my audience was every week these same people, 65 years plus, and I struggled to understand at the time. I'm like, Jesus, why, 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 why? Why would you put me here with these people? Surely you want to use me somewhere else. And the Lord said to me, I put you where you're going to grow best. And, and I had to spend the next 12 months figuring that out. 
and actually coming into agreement with the fact that God actually places us in opportunities of growth all of the time. And they're not the opportunities that we think we would benefit from. They're the ones that the Lord places us in so that he might grow us and transform us to be like his son Jesus and for his greater glory. One of the very first steps of discipleship or being um, someone who is taught or teachable is to allow God to begin to put us in the environments that he thinks we would grow best in. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open it for me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And while you're getting that, I'll tell you another quick story. In, in my journey of becoming a disciple of Jesus, I'd finished that season of working for this little Methodist church and then um, Nicole and I, we were newly married and uh, quite literally newly married and Nicole was a new Christian at this time and she'd just given her life to Jesus and, um, and um, I got asked to go and have a look at um, becoming a minister of the church at a, a northern New South Wales town called Nimbin. Now, has anyone heard of Nimbin? <laughs> I'm sure there's a few of us in this room that are... That's uh, <laughs> okay, you've walked a long way away from there, we know. God is good. Now, but Nimbin. Now, Nimbin is the place in, you know, Australia in the 60s where everyone dropped out. It was like, if you want to get out of the rat race, if you want to, like, let's live the alternate life, and you really wanted to turn that on full, to- full tilt, you go to Nimbin, and you'd grow your hair, and you don't shower, and you, you know, and anyway, it just gets, <laughs> it's, you know, you live the, the co- in the commune, and, you know, just really pressing this whole alternative approach to living. And in, with that is all these different spiritualities and so forth. And so here's Nick and I. These young, we're 22, <laughs> newly married, fresh-faced kids from fairly conservative stock, from growing up in the burbs. And um, I mean, so we're talking here uh, um, early 90s. And anyway, so we go down to Nimbin for a weekend. And uh, so the job was between Nimbin and Lismore. So it was kind of like I had two, two places to work there. Anyway, we went through all this interview process and, and, and we we're like, oh gosh, Lord, do you, do you know what you're doing here? This isn't us. This just isn't us. And fortunately, the Lord said, I know that. <laughs> and you know what? The, 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 the people in their wisdom, as they were looking at our life and interviewing us, they said, this is not for you. In their wisdom, they said, this is not for you. And we were like, oh, that's good. It was a bit far from Brisbane anyway. We kind of want to stick around Brisbane. And before you know it, we find ourselves living in Townsville. (laughs) The very opposite direction, further further north. So we're in Townsville now. We've taken a position of, of ministry in Townsville. And within a week of arriving in Townsville, because I was the new minister in this church at the time, new minister in town, I get a phone call, and the phone call is from these people who have absolutely nothing to do with the church, they have absolutely nothing to do with um, God other than maybe Christmas and Easter, 
sort of thing. Um, classic Aussies, and you need to come to our home because our dad's just died, and we need you to help us. And I'm like 22, and I'm like, I've never been with a dead body before. What do I do here? So anyway, fortunately, one of the uh, ladies in that church, she was, well, anyway, she was an elder of the church, and um, she, she, uh, I, I rang her and I said, hey, listen, Joan, I've got to go and do this, da 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 And she said, listen, love, I'll come with you. And I was just like, thank you. Thank you. So Joan came with me, 22-year-old Kirk, and 60-plus-year-old Joan came with me, and we went to visit this family. And, I mean, the body was still there. And the family were all sitting around it because it's only just happened, you know, X number of hours ago. And I'm just like, where do you start? Where do you start? And anyway, I took my lead as the leader off Joan. <laughs> and so Joan just walked in and she just said, oh, hi, I'm Joan. And then and she looked at me and I went, I'm Kirk. And then and they introduced themselves to us and there was obviously great sadness and grief in the home and around the family at that time. And we just sat down and had cups of teas with them and just let them listen, telling telling their story about, about dad who'd just passed away. And I was like, uh, this is okay, I can do this, this is fine. But Joan was wonderful. She just stepped me through this all the way, step after step after step. And then all of a sudden at one point, Joan gets up and she goes over to the gentleman who's died and she just reaches out and she just puts a hand on his chest and I thought, I'm going to take my lead from Joan. So I got up to and I went over and I just put my hand on this gentleman's chest. And we just started to ask that God would have mercy and welcome him into his kingdom. And so in, in all of this, then we began to pray for the family and so on. And then we had for them, I had to do my first funeral service. I had to figure out how do you stand in front of a group of people that know nothing about the message of Jesus and a family member's just died, and how do I speak the message of the life of the kingdom of God into that situation and pray for them? I was on a big learning curve at 22, but thank God for Joan. She'd been there and done that and journeyed through this many times, and she was able to take me by the hand and walk me through it. And I give thanks to God. See, God put me right where I needed to be so that I could grow to be the person that he wanted me to be. When, when Jesus seeks, uh, speaks to us and he asks us to follow him, a part of that journey is that he places you in situations, in contexts, in relationships and in churches so that you might grow. We're not here by accident. We're here because God in his loving kindness has said, whether we're aware of it or not, he said, that group of people that you're sitting amongst, they have got gold of my kingdom in them that you need. And you too carry something of my kingdom story in life that they need from you. It's this awakening that God is joyful and gives us opportunity to grow 
And it's his belief and his loving actions that brings you to places like here at the vineyard. And if this is your home, he hasn't brought you here by mistake. He's brought you here that you might flourish into all of the promises of God that he has for your life. Jesus, in his wisdom, had Nicole and I move to Townsville so he could teach us a few things. He places us where we will grow. Open your Bible, uh, Mark chapter 1. If you haven't got a Bible, it should, there's a couple of verses there on the screen uh, we can read together. It's Mark 1, 14 to 20. After John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called to them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus calls us into a life of being a disciple of his, there's a moment of trust that we have to cross. It's a threshold moment. It's a moment where we go from where we are and actively enter into what he's inviting us towards when he says, come and follow me. There's this threshold moment. There's this stepping from where we are into a whole new space. And that threshold moment when you're following God and you're, or you're hearing him say, whether it's for the very first time, you might be here for the very first time today in, the sit, sit, in a setting like this, and God's whispering to you, to your heart and he's saying, I want you to follow me by welcoming Jesus to be your king. And I want you to follow me. Or you might be here for the millionth, gazillionth time. But the spirit continues to provoke and promote the cause of Jesus' love in your life. And he's saying, come on, game's not over yet. Follow me, follow me. Wherever we are in that, you know, that, that, that spectrum of, of, of discipleship, there's always thresholds where Jesus says, come on, that's been good where you are, but now I need to bring you into this space because I'm not giving up on growing you and flourishing your life for your joy and for his greater good in the earth. God is committed to that. That threshold moment is where we actually give ourselves into the vision and the purpose and the plans that Jesus has for your life and my life when he says, follow me, I will make you. You see that? Jesus in those words to, to the first disciples, he says, if you follow me, I'll make you. I'll be the one who makes you. He's got great plans, great purposes, and great love to shape our life. And there, has, there comes a point where we have to go over the threshold and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop trying to make 
myself and let the love of God make me. I thought I was going to stand in front of 10,000 people and 9,000 of them were going to come to Christ when I was 21 years of age. You're laughing because you have that same vision. At 21 years of age. And he sent me to a little Methodist church. And then he sent me to Townsville. And then he sent me, I've got a whole litany of places all over planet Earth that Jesus has plonked me into so that he might flourish my life in him. Because he's committed to making us, shaping us, and, and for our joy and for his greater glory. So back to my original story. Back to my original story. So here I am preaching every, every week for 12 months to these 12 people. I think I actually killed the church a little bit because a few of them weren't there at the end of the 12 months. But anyway, so the church growth wasn't going so good. But anyway, <laughs> and so one of the things that I had to do as part of being there at this little church was I had to bring my best A game. I'd bring my A game on a Sunday. I'd deliver. And then I would have to sit with the elders, which is about four of these 65-year-old-plus people, and then they would tell me a few things about what I'd just done. Listen, Kirk, you've got a few things to learn. Really? Really? I thought I was pretty good. Well, and they would say things like this. They would say things like, we've heard a few people speak the message of the gospel over the years. You've got a few things to learn. And I'm like, really? And, and it was like, I felt like I was just getting like knocked, boom. But they were in their grace and their love with truth and grace. In tr- with truth and grace, they were speaking and reflecting back to me the reality of who I actually was in those moments. They, they weren't interested so much in technique and we talked all about that sort of stuff. But it was who I was and how I was presenting who I was, that they were reflecting back to me. And I was like, really, do I come off like that? I didn't realise I came off like that when I was doing what, what I was preaching the gospel. They said, you might want to talk to the Lord about that. And so I went through this whole process of learning to let those that Jesus had placed me among to, not, to speak into my life. I had to learn to let them speak into my life and not be scared of it and not be threatened of it and know that they were speaking to me so that they might help me flourish in the callings of God on my life. They weren't trying to knock the wind out of me. They weren't trying to sideline me. They were trying to help me progress in the life of God. So I had to learn to let people speak into me and I had to learn to listen to what they were saying to me. And then having heard what they were saying to me, I had to learn how to appreciate and value what they were saying to me. 
You know, God brings you to places and churches and opportunities of growth for your life and for mine because he's committed with through his loving purposes to make something of our life. And it's not just to make anything. It's to make us into the image of Jesus. It's to make us so that our lives would just be so full of the hope of the kingdom of God and the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit that God could take a life like ours and fill it with his grace and forgiveness and his spirit as his son begins to lead us so that others might know that God is good and that he loves them and that they too would turn their life to him. This whole journey of welcoming people around us to speak into us and to learn to listen to what they're saying and to learn to then value what they're saying, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Because if we're not willing to go there, we actually stunt, we actually stunt the very life that God is trying to shape in us. We stunt that. Learning to listen to feedback sometimes can be a bit jarring, can't it? You know, you're all in workplaces and some, you're all in relationships of various sorts and sometimes when someone holds that mirror up and just bounces that back to you, what you just presented, it, it can be a little like, oh, gee, I didn't realise I was like that. That was a bit, I need to work on that. I need to, I need to ask Jesus to shape me in that. Most of us, I would hazard in this room, nearly all of us, there's a few younger guys in here that don't drive cars yet and girls, but most of us drive cars and, um, that are in the room and one of the big things that um, we're always taught when we're learning to drive cars or, or we are driving cars, we form the habit before we change lanes, now Les would, would know this, and so Winfred too, driving school instructors, we, we, they train people to look in their blind spot. You've got to look, if you're turning into the left-hand lane, you've got to look over your left shoulder, back through that back corner panel of that back window and make sure no one's there. And it's same deal. If you're turning over to the right-hand lane, you've got to look over your right shoulder and look through that back panel. The mirror there, I'll just take a shortcut, I'll look in that mirror, but that mirror and your rear vision mirror doesn't actually show you what's in your blind spot. And you have to look in your blind spot because if you don't look in the blind spot, you'll cause accidents and people get hurt. And the grace of God to our lives by placing us in relationships like this is that there's people he brings alongside us to show us our blind spots in our relationship with God and the work that he's trying to form in us. Have you ever, I call those people my grace people. <laughs> you got a few of them in your life? You got a few of them in your life? They help you to see your blind spots. It's really important that we learn to love and appreciate the fact that God would care enough to put people like that in our life so that we might be shaped. Learning to discipline yourself to actually listen to feedback, I, I realised that those 12 people, they had many years of sitting in front of listening to good teachers, poor teachers. A few of them had been to Billy Graham. 
I mean, they, had, they know a few things about teachers and preachers. And it was good for me to listen to their wisdom. It was good for me to glean from their wisdom. And it was good for me to take on board what they were offering me. From the very early stages of becoming a preacher or a practitioner of Jesus' kingdom, I quickly learned I was going to need the wisdom of those who had paved the way before me. I needed their wisdom so that I could become everything that I was destined for in God, so that he could shape me for his glory. And ultimately, this means every day positioning our hearts, our mind and our life to be teachable to remain teachable. And that can be really hard sometimes because life gets a bit pokey and a bit sharp and and most of us have got hurts and wounds and issues that are born out of the fact that things didn't go so well with people and, and or even with God at various points along the way. And it's in those places where there's thresholds that the Holy Spirit, even this morning, is saying, come on. It's time to step through that threshold and come into a flourishing life of being a disciple of Jesus. Remaining teachable has meant I've had to learn to be an active listener and I've had to welcome both the truth and the grace of those around me to help me become who Jesus wants me to be. My life has seen Jesus put me in some pretty amazing moments, huge moments of both joy and grief of success and failure, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I am still learning. Right now, Nicole and I have been, been um, you know, um, called by God and by his church to be national directors of over 20 churches in this country. How the heck do you do that? I've never done that before. We've never done that before. But it's another step along the way where God has said, here, I want to grow you. And the best way to do that for you right now is I'm going to put you into this environment. And so right now, we're leaning into those that have gone before us and around us and said, what what would you do in a situation like this? I mean, we were in a situation the other month that we had to deal with on a national level. And it was difficult and it's hard and it's got all sorts of implications around it and so I rang a national director from another country I said what would you do in a situation like this and we spent an hour on 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 Skype talking about it and trying to find the wisdom of God and the way through we've got to lean into those who've gone before us so that we can be um, those that Jesus wants us to have uh, uh, to become now in Luke chapter 1, if you go on, I, I, I mean, in Mark chapter 1, I, I've written that down wrong in my notes, but in Mark chapter 1, if you go on from that little bit of scripture that we read, straight on the tail of that, in verse 21, Jesus goes to the synagogue, he starts teaching, and then he drives a demon out of someone. And then, um, not long after that, he leaves church and he goes to Simon's uh, mum, mother-in-law's house and he heals her from a fever. And then she gets up and cooks some, some food. Um, and then that, at that same time, 
word got out that Jesus was there at Peter's, Simon Peter, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's home and um, all the sick and the demonised came. It's, well, actually, Mark says the whole town gathered. The whole town. <laughs> now, I don't know how big the whole town was, but for him to mention the whole town, it must have had some scale to it. Um, and it says... And Jesus healed many who'd arrived with various diseases and he drove out demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And then the next day, very early in the morning, still dark, Jesus gets up, leaves the house and goes to a quiet place to pray. He's, and the, the guys all wake up, Simon and the guys are like, where's Jesus? And they, they go and find out where he is. And then Jesus says, come on, I've got to keep going. We've got to move from this town to another one. And then he comes across a man with leprosy and he heals this man because the compassion of God comes over Jesus' heart and he heals this man of leprosy. And then um, it says the news kept getting out wherever Jesus went and he would have to keep going to quiet places and then people would come from everywhere. And then Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And then Jesus calls Levi, or who's, who, who, who later became Matthew. And then Jesus talks about fasting. All of this, the disciples, you've got to understand, the disciples said, yep, I'm going to step over the threshold. I'm going to let you make something of my life. Jesus then goes on to show them, well, look, this is how you deliver a person from a demon. And he does it in church. This is how you do it when you're in church and a demon manifests. This is how you drive it out, guys. And he shows them how to do it. And straight after that, at Simon, Simon's mother-in-law's home, he says, guys, when you're dealing with someone with a fever, this is how you heal them. And straight after that, he says, after, and there's a massive crowd of people, the whole town now is at the doorstep, and Jesus is like, okay, now guys, when you're on a big setting like this and there's lots of people This is how we do healing ministry. He was demonstrating, teaching and modelling to the disciples the whole time so that they too might do what he was doing. And guys, don't forget, get up early. Get up early because it's quiet and everyone's still asleep and it's probably the only space that you're going to get in the course of a day where you can have deep conversation with God uninterrupted. Get up early. Learn to value getting up early. And guess what? It's one kingdom moment to the next. God is committed to helping us be lifelong learners. And te- we need to remain teachable and in that posture of, Lord, this is one step, left step, right step, left step, right step. Keep teaching me. Keep showing me. Keep growing me. Keep putting me among people who do what you've asked me to do, but they do it in a more matured way than I currently know how to do it. I've, personally, Nicole and I, we have heard the call of Jesus not to pray for the sick, but to heal the sick. Even as Jesus commissioned the disciples in Luke 9 and 10, Jesus said, go to every town, proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand and heal the sick. He didn't say pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. There's a big difference. I grew up in a context that said pray for the sick. Oh, this is how we pray for the sick. We stand around in a circle and we appeal to God for healing. 
But that's not what Jesus commissioned the disciples to do. He didn't say pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. So Nicole and I have had to spend a whole bunch of our own personal time, energy and resource over the last 15 years pursuing what does it mean to heal the sick. We have gone and visited men and women of God who are on that same journey themselves but just a few pages in front of us that have learnt what it means to, hey, listen, when you get with someone that's got a fever, this is how you heal them, like Jesus does. Hey, when you're with someone and the demonic starts manifesting in them and they start carrying on, this is how you shut it down and drive it out. And we've stepped into the situation of learning after learning after learning, and we're still learning. Where are you investing in your discipleship? Or have you allowed cynicism and hurt to stunt that process where Jesus wants you to flourish in your life in him? Um, in our hunger to follow Jesus, this is me and Nick, we've learnt how to, we've, we've, we're still learning, but we've sought out many people. We've travelled to the third world settings where people, the sickest of sick people have been presented to us and somehow we've meant to have known how to heal them. And by the grace of God, we've just stepped in and over those thresholds and into those settings and with the help of the Spirit, we have seen the sick get healed. We've had to be confronted with every disease and sickness, both in the third world and even last weekend in the first world, in the developed world, I should say, where my own son was lying in hospital suffering with viral meningitis and learning how to follow Jesus to heal those that suffer with viral meningitis. We've had a victory there now. We know how to deal with that now. Jesus has taught us how to pray now, specifically into that now. And so whenever we're confronted with viral meningitis now, we know what to do. We know how to follow Jesus into that setting. We've followed Jesus into settings with people with cancer. We've followed people, Jesus into settings with people with paralysed bodies and seen them come alive. We've followed Jesus into all sorts of settings. Now, I must also say that in that learning curve, we have also um, stood and... Or, I mean, I've held on to dead bodies that they might come alive again in the name of Jesus... And I have not seen that. I have not seen a resurrection from the dead in that regard in my own experience. I know others have, but I haven't. I, I still keep saying, though, Lord, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to learn. Even um, not so long ago, there was a, 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 an elderly gentleman that used to belong to this church, and probably only 12 months ago now he passed away. And um, I, I, the family had let me know, and I said, can I come and visit? And they said, sure, come. And so I went, and I just said, can I spend a few minutes in the room with, what's his name? And they said, sure. I said, thank you. And so I just quietly went into the room, and I kind of closed the door behind me, and I, I literally just reached over and just hugged him and held him. I'm like, and in the name of Jesus... Live. I'm commanding this heart to beat again. Live in Jesus' name. Now, for whatever reason, I, I mean, I'm sure there is a great reason somewhere. I just couldn't find it. I was just learning to try and be obedient to where Jesus was wanting to grow me as a disciple. The, the outcomes are his, 
The obedience is mine. That's one thing I've learned on the journey. And at times I have seen great life come to people and great healing. Those settings I haven't yet, <laughs> but I'm still learning. So take heart, take heart, folks. If you keel over this week, I will pray for your resurrection. All right? And I'll, I'll call a few of us to get in the room there and, and, and pray for your resurrection. All right? Just want to let you know. You're not, you're not going to go without, a, without us having a go. <laughs> all right? So anyway, I, I guess this morning I just want to encourage us all that God invites us to remain a people who are lifelong learners. Jesus is a great teacher and he uses other people to help us to see him to hear him and to shape our lives. Um, These many many moments along the way where I've not particularly liked, I have not particularly liked the vessels, the individuals, or the settings, or the groups that Jesus says, this would be great for you to be with them right now. Sometimes I just haven't liked the vessels. And even there... The Lord has held had has had to help me step over that angst, that dislike, and become gracious to receive what it is that He wants to teach me of His ways. In rejecting people and moments in my life, I've continued to find growth and effectiveness as a disciple. Go blunt. Long ago, when I had that dream, when I was 21, I was standing in front of a crowd of 10,000 people. The words that I was speaking in that dream were powerful and people were turning their lives over to Jesus. I still ask every day that Jesus would use my words like that. I still ask Jesus every day that his authority and his power and his grace to save and his wisdom and his capacity to set people free would be on the words that I speak. So even though there's maybe a hundred or so of us here today, you've got to understand I'm seeing a picture of about another 9,900 around you that I'm preaching to. Isaiah 50 verse 4 reads this, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary, and he awakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear like one who is being taught. In the name of Jesus, please remain teachable. He has called you to follow him because he wants to make something of your life. He wants to make it. You can let go of trying to make it on your own and let him make it for you. God has placed you here, for those of you here at the vineyard, to learn and to grow. Not to sit in your own sense of disqualification. Not to sit in your own disqualification that you speak over your life all of the time. He has called you here to grow and to flourish and to learn, and to be a disciple of Jesus, to draw deeply of what he has done, the wealth of what he has done in the lives of those that you're sitting among right now. Let people speak into your life 
Listen to what they have to say. Value that they would love you like that. And this is a long road. It's a long road. And this is the point that the Lord's been trying to get through to us all year. We are better together in him. It's a long road. Left, right, left, right. That's what the wisdom and the, and the persistence of God looks like. Left, right, left, right. Following Jesus, stepping over the thresholds from this space into that space that you might be the disciples of the king.